everyone, and welcome to episode 7 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. Thank you all for joining us again, or if this is your first time in, welcome, and you should probably go back to episode 1 and start from the beginning. Today on the cast, I am joined by my co-hosts, Dan. Hey guys. And Tiffany. Hey. So, just a friendly reminder that you guys can always uh, hit us up on social media. We have Facebook, Twitter, um, all under the name The League of Nonsensical Gamers, and you can actually find our personal handles from there. Or feel free to shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. We welcome any and all feedback, constructive or positive, um, and we'd love to hear from you. And a second piece of news for the podcast is that we are now officially on Stitcher. So if you use that service, you can find all of our episodes on there and feel free to check us out from here on out. All right, so today's show, we are going to do a little what we've been playing as usual. Then we're going to get into some cool Kickstarter spotlights that we have going on. And we have something very special this episode. We have our first guests joining us. Uh, At the end of the episode, we'll be doing an interview with Randy Hoyt from Foxtrot Games and game designer Chris Chung, who currently has the game Lanterns, the Harvest Festival, up on Kickstarter right now. But we'll start the show off like we always do. We'll talk a little bit about what we've been playing. So, anybody been playing anything exciting? So, I haven't really played much with my regular game group this week, but I have been playing a lot of games with my middle school middle school board game club so the thing they're addicted to right now is rumble in the house slash rumble in the dungeon which is just a game it's kind of a deduction game you have 12 different rooms that you lay out kind of a modular board and uh, 12 different characters get put in each room and then in a six-player game you each get two um tokens representing each one of those characters they're secret so the other players don't know which ones uh, it are yours and then on your turn you can either move your uh, any character it doesn't have to be yours to a different room or you can take two characters that are in the same room and fight them which basically means you kill off one of them And then you score points by lasting the longest. You play it over three rounds, and then whoever has the most points at the end of the three rounds is the winner. So the kids are really enjoying that one. It's really light and simple. And if you combine the two things together, you can play with a whole lot of players. So that's been fun. Have you been playing with them? Yeah, yeah. They love trying to kill me. So... (laughs) That's actually the theme of our board game club. Uh, they love playing King of Tokyo so they can take me out. Try to kill Miss Tiffany. That's how it works. Nice. Um, I haven't played either of those Rumble games. Are they good outside of 12-year-olds? Yes, I think so. I, I mean, I bought them long before. I didn't buy them just for the board game club, although it works perfectly for this age group. Uh, but, they're I mean, the artwork's cute. They're just cute little cartoon characters. There's, like, a pink ninja and all these little... There's, like, a cat and a monkey with a fez and all these just little cute characters. So the kids love having those, but just I think anyone would like it. It's really simple and light. It's a good filler. Nice, nice. Well, I've actually been engaging in some uh, some pretty simple, fun, kind of family kid gameplay myself. We got in a play of Fun Farm. Nice. So this is a game from being produced by Yellow, and it's got these six cute little foam, squishy stress ball animals. And, you know, you do some dice rolling, and when the dice come up with certain combinations, 
uh, you have to grab certain animals from the middle of the table um, based on the cards that are out. So this is like speed and dexterity, and we played it six players, including my mom. Um, and we had an awesome time with it. It was a lot of fun. We all were standing up around the table, and I think at one point Dan dove on the ground for an animal, and I might have ended up bleeding by the end of it. I was going to say, did anybody lose a limb? Because that can get violent. It was... There was some serious, like, two people grab an animal at the same time, like, fighting over, like, snatching out of people's hands kind of thing. There was a lot of that going on. And poor Bree, my, our little brother's girlfriend, the first game she had zero, she didn't get anything the whole game. She was like, I think I'm done with this game, but we, we got her to play again, and then she was getting into it. She was throwing elbows. She was all about it. It was good. Yeah, that's a good one. Every time I play that game, I'm trying to repeat the Ben Pinchback move. When we played that game with him at Origins, he grabbed three animals at the same time. It was amazing. So I'm always Dan did that. I got two. Number three. Three is impressive because he had one in each hand and then one in like the crook of his elbow, and I haven't seen it done (laughs) since. It was it was incredible. I almost had three, but Mike Mike snatched one out of my hands. Um, so I think that's close. cheating. We had to uh, we had to issue some house rules about where to keep your hands and things like that because people were uh, hovering a little too close. For sure, that's a thing. So Dan, what have you been playing? Anything else? No, I didn't get too much in this weekend because uh, you lame asses went to bed early most of the weekend. So I was uh, I was able to get in uh, about three quarters of a game of Machi Koro. Um, and I say that because our brother Mike uh, rage quit <laughs> towards the end of it. It was actually pretty right. hilarious. Yeah, we were playing. It was great. Everyone was enjoying themselves. It's a it's a light game for those who haven't tried it yet. It's basically you are building a small city, the city of Machi Kuro, and to do this, you buy different buildings that you put in front of you, and on your turn, you roll a dice or a die, and or dice. Um, and if your number comes up, it triggers the, the power of the building, if you have a building that has that number that came up on the die. And there's other uh, powers that trigger on other people's turns, etc. But it was funny, though, because Mike had collected, um, he collected like six bakeries. So he had, he was going for the one die strategy, and he had basically two and three locked down. So he had a 30% chance you know, of hitting on his two or three. He had the convention center, which doubled his bakeries. And he rolled three fives in a row. And oh. five was the only number that he didn't have. He had one, two, three, four, and six. Nice. <laughs> and he said, he was getting so frustrated. He goes, all right, if this comes up a fourth time in a row, I'm getting in my car and I'm going home. He's like, I will apologize ahead of time. Sure enough, <laughs> He rolls a five, and he just quietly gets up from the table and walks out the door. <laughs> did he leave? Did he really go home? He really did. He was like, Way and to he commit. texted me. He's like, I had to stay true to my word. I was like, that's fair. I kind of respect that. I was like, it was one of the most awesome yet lame things I've ever seen. Um, so we we finished it out, the rest of us, um, the three, three of us left, and just kind of, you know, it wasn't the same, obviously, but... You know, it was our first play, so we just wanted to see how it played out, and it was cool. And that's 
it's a game I can see after just one play. I can already see that it's going to need those two expansions that are coming out because it's, I could see it getting really stale and kind of almost like systematic in how you go about doing your strategy um, from game to game. But, you know, with these expansions, hopefully it switches up some of the cards, gives a little more variety, maybe some different powers. So I'm curious to see it. But, you know, for a light, small dice rolling game for, you know, 20, 30 bucks, it, it was good. Well, those expansions should be out soon. I was looking on cool stuff, and I think it said, like, November or December. Yeah, I think they're both coming out by the end of the year. I think they're yeah. staggered. Um, but, yeah, they're the Harbor, and I can't remember the, the third one, or the second one. And I also got in a quick play of uh, Tiffany was kind enough to send me um, a small filler from my man crush, Antoine Bauza, one of his old ones uh, called Pocket Rockets. Uh, it's a two to four player game. Comes in a really tiny box with some tiny little cards and uh, a couple of tokens. That's about it. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to build um, different types of rockets. You are set. The setting is within like a rocket factory. And you go around and you collect the the base and then the the fuselage and then the the tip of the rocket and you compete them and first one to get. Um, you know, X rockets completed, um, ends the game. And then you count up points. It was, it was really good. Uh, it was really simple. I'm always amazed. Um, similar to like say Jake and I, I'm always amazed with, um, the fun Antoine Bowser is, is able to put into his designs. It's just like the dude just, I don't know. He breathes fun. I just really enjoy his designs, whether they're the most complex, that's arguable, but you can always sit down and have a pretty good time with them. Cool. I'm glad you liked it. Did how much did you giggle while you played that game? Um, it was quite phallic. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. It, it actually kind of reminded me more of working in like a sex toy shop or a sex toy <laughs> factory. Um, but you know the French are known for phallic shaped things popping up here and there. So, you know, I can't fault them. What is this game? Pocket rockets. I thought it was about rocket ships. Pocket rockets. It could be the rocket <laughs> in your pocket. I don't know. You know. spoiled my whimsy for outer space. No, but it was really fun. I, I liked it. It was quick, and uh, it had enough little decisions to be made that it was interesting throughout. Cool. I got introduced to that game by Matt Wolf, um, and I got uh, the fancy tin version of it, so I had two copies of it. <laughs> That's cool. So I, I'm just happy to have one. It's really. I love that know. it's just so tiny. Like I've I've taken it to school and played it at lunch before so it's a good one nice tiff you've been playing anything else no i haven't i mean other than king of tokyo and um sushi go which are just kind of our staple games that the kids like at board game club that's all i've played we had a canceled game night but i'm looking forward to this weekend because we got another panericon coming up so i'm going to get some heavy games in good good yeah my buddy chris is on a Feld spree, so he's bought like four felds in the last week. Is La Isla out yet? It was an S in release. I don't know that it's over here just yet, but it's been out okay. in Europe since September. Okay. I was hearing about that. It sounded a little bit interesting. I like the I like the idea of a light feld, like lighter feld. Yeah. Well, something the exact opposite of that. Um, as of. Oh, 45 minutes ago, I finished my first play of Battle Lore, second edition. 
played the uh, beginner scenario with Kelly B and kicked her butt. Uh, not really. I was about to lose. So I got lucky on a dice roll. Um, it's The basic scenarios definitely feels like a, a dice chucker, I think, without the introduction of advanced units or the lore system. Basically, like half the game is missing when you play just the basic scenario. But I can already tell that I like it in terms of, you know, command and color system. It's my first exposure to the game, and I'm digging it. So cool yeah i know it's not up your alley in terms of you know it's not a heavy euro but i dig it it's got strategy and it's that's not necessarily not up my alley (laughs) i actually i'm curious about battle lore i i've looked at it i just know that that's one that there's going to be box after box of expansion and units and stuff and i just can't get into something like that surprisingly the first expansions don't even come out till january that is a surprise yeah, I, FFG usually has them lined up. You know, you're usually pre-ordering, pre-ordering expansions when you pre-order the game, but now they've uh, they've taken their time on this one. I don't know. It's a reprint to some extent, so. Right. Well, that's good. That'll give you a chance to get all the way immersed into the base game before you branch out. That's my hope. I think there's a lot in the box. I mean, so I'm I'm excited to to give it a try and it's it was quick. It was we played now it was just a beginner scenario and it it went pretty quick, but, you know, a half hour, 40 minutes, I, I can't imagine it, even if it was twice as long, like, that's still pretty short for that kind of game, so. For sure. Yeah. But, that's all I've been getting into. Anything else from the from the group? No. Alright, so, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to do our Kickstarter Spotlight. All right, everyone, our next segment is we are going to get into some Kickstarter spotlights. And first up on the list is Z to Z, which I'm going to let Tiff explain. All right, so Z to Z is a party game um, from Mind the Gap Studios and Peter Newland. I I had the pleasure of meeting him at Gen Con, and he sent me a copy of this game, which is just a deck of cards. And it's, it's a deck of cards with kind of just funny words, funny phrases on them. Um, so things like Marco or Booga Booga Booga, like just random words. Um, Wiener is one of them. And the, <laughs> the, yeah, I know. Right. So the premise of the game is that you are playing this game surrounded by zombies. And in order to survive, you have to do your best impression of a zombie because, um, they won't eat you if they think you're a zombie. So you flip a card and you make direct eye contact with the person to your left and you have to read what's on their card without laughing, smiling, or showing any kind of sign that you have a sense of humor because, of course, zombies do not laugh or have a sense of humor. And uh, if you do snicker or anything like that, then you are a zombie and you are out. Um, There are some variants where if you are out, you become a zombie to harass the players as they try to say these goofy words while making eye contact with the person next to them. So that's, that's basically it. It's really super short. It's completely silly. Um, this is a one that I tried out with my middle school game group and the, the teenagers loved it. So yeah, that's, that's Z to Z. To some extent, this is one of my favorite 
concepts for a game that have come out recently. I just like the idea of two humans sitting in a horde of zombies trying to have a conversation like zombies. <laughs> um, I think it's pretty funny. I, I guess this falls into that whole uh, game versus activity debate, but I'm not going to get into it. Uh, yeah, it, it is more of an activity. <laughs> I mean, I think... For the kids, it devolved a little bit into, can I just say these words with a straight face? <laughs> they are not good zombie impersonators. So I, I kind of had to sit back and be the zombie judge. But it was fun for them, and I don't think they cared who won. Fun spoiler. You got to bring bring the rules down? You're going to throw the book at them? In my board game club, we play by the rules. <laughs> Which is you have to pretend to be a zombie. Yes. So I'm I'm very strict about that. But for 13 bucks, which is what you, you get one copy of the game, I mean, it's worth a shot. It kind of suffers from the same kind of thing that any party game that's card-based and humor-based is going to have, where, you know, if you get through that deck, you know, you get you, you kind of, the, the jokes get a little bit more stale, but the, he's got a stretch goal to double the deck, so um, it gets upgraded to 112 cards instead of 56 and um, I was talking to him uh, via email the other day, and we were talking about how blank cards would just be, having lots of blank cards would be awesome, because then you could sort of tailor the humor toward, toward your group. Yeah, I think to some extent, uh, this could kind of just be like a charade-style game where you get together with a group of friends, and they all write stuff down and toss it into a bowl kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you may not need the deck of cards, but, you know, 13 bucks, why not? take the labor out of it and just have it on hand yeah well and we did that uh the kids actually asked if they could make up their own words which i was kind of nervous about at first but <laughs> but you knew wiener was already in the deck so whatever right wiener was i had to take out boobies before they played so <laughs> i thought that was the crossing the line no but it's no. not plural it's just booby is it i didn't it's not it's not plural oh okay. <laughs> like the blue-footed booby <laughs> That's just a bird. Oh, tip. well, I took it out anyway, just to be safe. I don't want any parent phone calls. But but you kept in wiener? Well, that's like a hot dog. That's sexist. <laughs> Calling you out. Okay, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer wiener to booby. But uh, anyway, moving on. My kid's not at... It's going to be my ringtone. <laughs> My kids didn't add anything that was even remotely risque and being like most of them are from my orchestra classes. So being true like music dorks as they are, they added musical terminology. <laughs> so that was boring. probably the least exciting game of Z to Z that's ever been played. I mean the 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 musical terminology words that's... are, you know, Italian. So, Crescendo. T. No, that's not funny. But as a. Rebel Club. Or Retardando. Or Ponticello. Or something. D of them. minor. Ooh. <sighs> Don't make fun of them. They, they <laughs> love it. I think we it. should design a game where we turn musical terms into dirty words. <laughs> We're doing pretty good so far. <laughs> so, yeah. It, it's super light. It's really fun. Um,. At least the first time around, um, I think it would be a lot more fun to just go crazy with blank cards. They have a little ways to go. They're asking for $5,000, and he's got 
827 right now, but they still have plenty of time, uh, 25 more days as of this recording, but it'll be less when this podcast goes out. Yeah, so looking at like three weeks or around then. Yeah. So, But that's plenty of time to, to raise a couple more bucks. This is a cool little project, yeah. It might be something worth checking out if you've got a good group of friends. For sure. All right. So that is Z to Z from... Mind the Gap Studios. Mind the Gap Studios. Well, speaking of dead people, we've got another project on the list, and that is Bring Out Your Dead by Ginger Ale Games. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, Tiff, but this is another one that I think you're a little more knowledgeable of than me. So how about you give us another rundown? Oh, that's all right. So I was checking out this game because uh, Ginger Ale Games is the first title from um, Max Holiday and his co-op group of designers and and people that he's pulled together since um, Mayday stopped doing his Eaten by Zombies game. So this is kind of their first Kickstarter project, and I kind of just wanted to see what it looked like. Um, So Bring Out Your Dead, you are trying to get your family members buried in the best places in the graveyard is the premise of the game. So on your turn, you're revealing cards to kind of bid for the order. You get to place bodies on the gravedigger's cart, and then the gravedigger puts those bodies in to the cemetery and it's kind of neat it's got some coffin meeples so that's nice that coffin meeples and double coffin meeples so and tarot sized cards yeah you don't see that too often so many good component things here yeah so i mean i i the theme is kind (laughs) of it's dark but it's like kind of humorous that's not too serious or too gross or anything like that so i i think it looks interesting the designer is aaron watts by the way i forgot to mention that yeah well my favorite part thematically about this is the fact that if you don't make it onto the stack thematically speaking your loved one's body has fallen off the cart and into the river and it's just floating away you get no burial plot yeah that is my favorite thing it is it's a little twisted but i think it's hilarious yeah, it's pretty cool. It looks like they're they're asking for forty five dollars for the the base game, and it's looking like it's their estimated delivery date is in July. So, and they're doing pretty well. Ten thousand um, dollars of their thirty five thousand dollar goal, and thirty and you know a month to go. Yeah, and there's still seven. Uh, of the limited edition coffin game cases that you can buy for $300, you can get your game in a coffin. I don't think it's life-size, though. It's like a baby-sized coffin. Well, so it is a little bit multi-purposed. <laughs> oh, that's twisted. But, <laughs> but yeah, there they do have a coffin that, that will fit the board and all the cards and all the bits uh, in there. So Yeah, definitely... I think something worth checking out. I'd like to uh, to see. It says a gameplay video is coming. I'd like to take a look at that. They do have the rule book up, um, so it's it's definitely interesting. It's caught my eye, um, and there's definitely plenty of time to kind of watch and see where this goes before I click that back button. But it's cool. Yeah, I'm keeping my eye on it. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we got a few more on the list. Uh, the next one up is Operation Faust, which is from Robert Burke. 
Um, this project's sitting at 8600 bucks of a $14,000 total. They've got around that three-week mark to go as well by the time this episode airs. And this one actually has a pretty unique theme. So this is bluffing and deduction, but it's set in World War II. And Tiff, I know this caught your eye specifically because this one, uh, it's it's got that art tie-in about like the Nazi art thieves and stuff like that. Yeah, it, re- it reminded me of the Bill Murray movie, Monuments Men, that came out uh, a while back. And so that kind of, that's what caught my eye, and then I looked at it. Um, it's definitely got a lot of social and deduction, kind of similar to Coup in that sort of game. Um, three to five players, about 30 minutes, you're using intelligence points is the currency of the game so you're using those points to get different plot cards which allow you to they're kind of like roles that allow you to do different actions and there's face down cards that are the art that you're trying to rescue from occupied france um so you're trying to kind of get the best art the most valuable art and there are different kinds of art so there are degenerate art and forgery art so the other players can steal it from you and that sort of thing so you win the game by getting uh, I think it's a million dollars worth of art and and making sure that you don't have any forgeries or if you do have forgeries you have cards that forgery documents that that negate that and it looks kind of interesting I think that the the theme is what draws me most I mean I think it's an interesting use of the mechanics, but I think kind of that it, it's the the art and the setting. Like I think that that's what really catches my eye when I consider this project. It looks like they put a lot of energy into researching some of the history. I was just kind of watching some overview videos, and a lot of the history is incorporated. The people on the cards are real people. So um, they did a good job with that. And the other thing I thought was interesting, um, so I was talking about the plot cards or these sort of roll cards. Um, When you claim one of those, there are two different actions on those cards. One that you you can play it and keep it in your hand, um, and one that you can play it out onto the table, then it gets discarded. So you kind of have a choice of that, and then, of course, other players might challenge you if they don't think you're actually that role. But that's how you kind of get your intelligence going back and forth. But it looks pretty interesting. And Robert yeah. Robert Burke designed Draco Magi with Richard Lanius, so if he's hanging out with Lanius, he's got to be cool. Right, right. Well, I was going to say that. So 18 bucks gets you the game. Um... But you can add, actually, for 20 bucks, get a copy of Draco Magi. That's what kind of drew... I know this is what kind of grabbed you for this project, and um, that's what I recognized was, oh, okay, this is the guy that behind the Draco Magi project, which was a wildly successful Kickstarter. Um, and with such a long time to go, there's you know no saying that this won't be pretty successful in itself because it's almost met its funding goal, and you know clearly it's it's got some room to go well above that, so... This could be pretty cool. All right, so that's Operation Faust, another one to check out and plenty of time to do so. So the last game on our list for Kickstarter Spotlight today is Phoenix Covenant. And if you want to see a hilariously put-together Kickstarter video that does no justice to the game itself, this is where you want to go. (laughs) 
Phoenix Covenant is currently sitting at $20,000 of a $35,000 goal. It also has about three weeks to go by the time this episode airs. So this one is the closest to funding um, of the, the projects that we're looking at today. And this is something that I'm really interested in because it, it's billed as Magic meets Final Fantasy Tactics. So deck building, kind of card play, on a board. It's got a Summoner, Summoner Wars kind of look to it, even though I hear that the gameplay is kind of vastly different. Um, I'm, I'm digging this one, and I know that Tiffany got a chance to play it, so let's hear some of that gameplay experience. Yeah, I was lucky enough uh, to get sent a, kind of a preview copy of it, and I played my first game this weekend. Um, it's really interesting the way things work. Um, they, they don't have lands like in Magic, so at the beginning of your turn, you are allotted to what they call essence points, and you can put them in either of the two types of currency. So there are command points, and then there's mana. So you, and that's what you use to play out the cards. And you play those into your home row, and then you can move them out um, across your opponent's board. Uh, also on your board are hard points. So there are two hard points on either side of the board. I have two, my opponent has two. And we're trying to attack each other's hard points because that will deal damage directly to the player. You can attack their units, of course. You're trying to get those guys out of there. But how you win the game is by taking out your opponent. And there are 30 life points that you have to go through in order to do that. So you can either attack those hard points or go all the way across the board and directly attack your opponent. So um, it's it's interesting for a couple of reasons. They have diagonal movement on it. So it kind of that sort of throws you for a loop. There aren't too many games out there that have that going on. Um, but it makes for some really interesting kind of puzzly decisions on how to move your units around to get the best effect. Um, the other thing about the cards is that the spatial element really matters because every side of the card has kind of a different armor. Uh, they, they, have, they can either be armored or they have weak points or they're just normal points. So if you hit a armored point, your damage only does half. Uh, and if you if you hit a weak point, it does one and a half. So Interesting. you're trying to sort of maneuver around um, your opponent's units to get the most possible damage. Um, but it's it's pretty solid. Our first game took a, a long time, and and that's not because the rules are really complicated. The Everyone that's, if this sounds even remotely interesting to you, you should go check out their gameplay overview video. is very excellent. I felt like after I watched it, I knew how to play the game. We had to look up a couple of things, you know, card-wise and how does this resolve. But on the whole, it's pretty easy to learn the way they set up their tutorial. Kind of just gradually introduces different mechanics of the game before you have to do all of it all at once. Um, so it's got a lot of interesting things going on. And if you're kind of into that sort of, you know, cards with text attacking, you know, head to head kind of game, it's definitely worth a look. Yeah, this is going to be hard for me to pass up on, honestly. Like I probably shouldn't back it, but this is games like this are, they draw me in. And I know, you know, I was thinking and I mentioned in our pre-show um, that I, I wasn't a big fan of the art. Now it's only sketches, it's not complete, and I, I do like the direction it's going in. I'm not really sure where I fall on it though, um, but I love the idea of 
taking kind of that spatial element because that's always, you know, I recently got into Mage Wars and it's got a bit of that feel to it. I always like Summoner Wars, which was moving around the board. You know, this kind of game, it's hard to resist for me. So I'm definitely interested in it. And it seems like it's doing a lot of things that other games often kind of neglect or, or choose not to go down that route because it can be kind of difficult to manage. So I'll be interest, interested to see how they pull it off. Yeah, well, in, what I'm interested in is I, I don't have this version with the prototype they sent me. I can say art-wise, it looks really good on the table. I tweeted out a picture of it, and I'll probably have more pictures to come as I get to play it a couple more times. But even though the art is not all the way finished and some of the sketches are just uh, placeholders, uh, the, the game board itself is really well done. Even for the prototype, it looks really nice, and it has dials to track your life and your um, resources, so I really like dials. I'm a fan of those, so it uses that, and they have a PvE uh, cooperative variant that's coming, so that was what I was talking about before when I said I don't have that. I want to see that, so... You're making this difficult for I me. might check it out. I might back it just to get that part of it. It would be cool. So you can get this game... Right now you can back it $50 uh, to get the game. They've got a few other... Uh, levels that you can go for all the way up to you know a couple hundred bucks to get a few other things but the base game 50 bucks um, shipped to your door and they are looking at a delivery at the beginning of next year so first quarter yeah and i think that 50 bucks is four different decks that you get so it's it's a a lot of cards and even though the decks are kind of pre-constructed they even in the draft rule book they encourage you to kind of break those apart and create whatever deck you want to do so you can deck build in the game if you want to or if you're not into that you don't have to very cool very cool all right well that is all the kickstarter spotlights we have for today so we are going to go ahead and take another break and when we come back we're going to be joined by randy hoyt and chris chung to talk about lanterns and fox Talk games and dan is going to guide us through that interview so stay tuned for that All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, today we have our first interview segment, and we are honored to have two really cool guys joining us. Um, we have Randy Hoyt from Foxtrot Games, and we have Chris Chung, the designer of the Kickstarter hit Lanterns the Harvest Festival. Um, without getting into too much more detail, I won't spoil their fun. I'll let them um, go ahead, and if you guys wouldn't mind, just introduce yourselves, give us a little background. Um, I don't know, day job, why you got into board games, how you got into it, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> sure. Well, thanks for having us. Uh, I'm Randy Hoyt, the uh, owner and founder of Foxtrot Games. Um, I've been gaming all my life. Grew up as a kid playing the classics. Uh, you know, Yahtzee and Clue are some of my favorites. I'll still take anyone up on a game of Yahtzee or Clue. So much nostalgia there. Oh, those are um, so good. <laughs> And card games like Rummy and Spades are probably the, the favorites um, there. Just played lots of games, and gaming is always about family for me. I mean, I play a lot of games with friends and strangers that I meet at conventions and things, of course. But when I think of gaming, I think of family. And so um, when I started uh, Foxtrot Games, it was about making games that people could play um, with their families. Um, that's a lot of who I play games with, and it's what gaming really means to me is spending time with family. Excellent, excellent. 
Chris, how about you? All right. Um, I'm a hobbyist game designer from Toronto. Um, I started in gaming when I was playing the classics, uh, mostly Monopoly and Scrabble. I was uh, more into the uh, challenging uh, games of that, uh, <laughs> that era of board gaming. Um, I had a brief fascination with um, Texas Hold'em, but I never got into game design or modern board games until I had a dream that I was I designed a game and I was playing with friends and family. I uh, woke up the next morning, prototyped everything I could, and that prototype's long gone. But uh, I continued the hobby, and now um, I'm working on simple and fun games that uh, emphasize that everyone can play. So, and Lanterns is a, a great example of what I've done. Now, did that rule book start with "I had a dream"? Because uh, I think that's been done before. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. I like to keep my story a little secret, unless people are really curious about what I how I got into gaming. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, so, Randy Foxtrot, I'm, it's a relatively young publishing house. I know you guys have successfully kickstarted Relic Expeditions. Um, was that about a year ago or so? Yeah, a year and a half ago it was on Kickstarter. Yeah. So, what what made you get into this lucrative business? This <laughs> lucrative business. Maybe you know something I don't know about this lucrative business. Um, There's so, a bit of sarcasm in that. Oh, oh, I see. Yes, they say the best way to end up as a board game publisher with a small fortune is to start with a large fortune. So (laughs) we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, As I mentioned, gaming and family always go together for me. And um, my brother and I, Tyler Siegel, we would get together with our family at our sort of annual family uh, reunion or uh, summer vacation. Um, We have family in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Memphis, Tennessee, Portland, Oregon. And we all sort of get together once a year. Um, And I'm in Dallas, Texas right now. Um, once a year, at least, we get together and play games. We, you know, my brother and I bring our hobby games, and we try to teach some of them to our family. Uh, like I said, we've pl- all played games a lot, and um, we decided one year after trying to teach um, our family member Seven Wonders, we thought this was going to be a game that that they could, you know, get and really enjoy. And it was just even even Seven Wonders was a bit much, and so we were like, you know what, we need to, we want to make a game that we would like to play with our gaming friends and that we could come home and play with our families as well. So that was sort of the genesis of the idea of, hey, let's let's make a board game. Uh, we brainstormed a bunch of ideas, and this was for Relic Expedition. Um, we came up with the jungle adventure theme and the expanding board. We thought that would be a, a kind of good set mechanic and theme pairing for getting people who hadn't really played modern board games excited about it. Oh, wow, the board grows. Wow, you know, people were really excited about that. Uh, kind of the Indiana Jones feel would be um, familiar to people enough and that they could sort of wrap their heads around the jungle exploration and stuff. And So that started, we started with that, and um, I went and designed the game. And He's a graphic designer, uh, and he did the artwork for that. Um, we thought we could um, you know, publish that game ourselves and then look for games from other designers and other artists. Uh, we both have in our network, people um, who do different kind of art style. So um, we thought that would be something that we could do. Um, it was all a lot more work than we expected, as I'm sure you <laughs> can imagine. Um, you know, a lot of people design a game and want to put it on Kickstarter without realizing how much is involved in the publishing side of it. Um, and, you know, we learned a lot made some mistakes, um, had a lot of fun, met a lot of great people um, through this process so far. Um, And, you know, everything is is moving forward now, um, publishing other people's games. So 
Uh, Chris's is the first game. We're published, it'll be the second game from Foxtrot Games, the first one from another designer. Um, and we're continually looking at um, submissions from other games, uh, from other game designers. Um, when I talk to a lot of game designers, they, they kickstart their own game and decide they don't want to be in the publishing business. They'd rather design games. And for me, it actually went sort of the other way. Like, designing games is fun, but, but I really like publishing board games. Um, more than I expected to. Um, I think <laughs> I didn't know how much work or what all it would entail, um, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it. it. It is, I think, at least as fun, if not more fun, than designing games. Um, and working with Chris has just been, been really great, and it's been really fun to work with another designer um, through their ideas, through their game, uh, things that I just would never have come up with, um, and then to really explore those and, and iterate through those. Um, it's just been a lot of fun. Uh, working with Chris and talking with other designers, and so yeah, so now we're a publishing company, I guess. We've 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 kickstarted our second game. We we raised our funding in six days yep. for that on a thirty day campaign. So we're still going strong. We're about halfway through right now, um, and then you know we'll get through the campaign, start the manufacturing process, and and all that, and then hopefully start working on getting the next game signed. Excellent. Well, that's a, that's a great segue actually, because. Um... As you mentioned, you guys have Lanterns, the Harvest Festival, currently on Kickstarter, and it's fully funded, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, totally deserves it, in my opinion, but we can get into that later. Um, <laughs> but for those of us not familiar, um, Chris, could you kind of give us your quick elevator pitch of the game? Just kind of a brief overview of Lanterns. Sure. So Lanterns is a game for two to four players. Uh, players are artisans in Imperial China uh, decorating a lake for um, the upcoming Harvest Festival. So players will be playing tiles with different colors. And once you play a tile to the board, everyone gets a lantern card. And you get the lantern card based on how you see the game. Um, you can trade those in for dedication tokens. And the player with the most points from dedication tokens wins the game. Excellent. Quick, simple, just like the game. I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, you know, in most businesses, and I guess board gaming is no different, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So I'm I'm always curious, you know, the different connections that are made throughout the hobby, et cetera. But how did you guys link up on Lanterns? Was this something you guys did through social media, a convention? And, and you know, Randy, what really drew you to Lanterns as far as wanting to publish it, at, you know, from an outside designer? Yeah, we, Chris and I met on Twitter. Um, we both follow a bunch of people in board games and Twitter's pretty smart about suggesting um, other people with board games. Oh, Twitter's uh, great. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I'll follow that person and that person and that person. I think Chris followed me first and I followed him back. I think um, Chris follows everyone, though. Is that what it no, is? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of do. <laughs> that was probably a year ago. Um, I looked this up for another uh, interview we did. I looked it up. It was about a year ago when uh, it said, Chris Chung is now following you on Twitter. <laughs> I have the email in my inbox. Um, and I have a, I have two sons. They're seven and two. And my seven-year-old, um, he, he likes gaming with us, and he likes making his own games um, or house-ruling games. <laughs> when Whenever I have a new game design, he'll only play it once before he's like suggesting changes or house rules. Or now that we've done a Kickstarter campaign, he's suggesting stretch goals for miniatures and all this. <laughs> it's, it's like he wants miniatures and lanterns. He wants this... Uh, alien invasion expansion so 
Um, I told them oh. if we hit, I told them if we hit seven hundred thousand dollars, we would do uh, alien miniatures. Um, Way to keep his hopes and dreams in check. <laughs> we need to really, we need to help push this to seven hundred thousand, man. I want the aliens. It might delay our delivery if we have to uh, design miniatures and an expansion, but we would do it for you. We would do it for the, we would do it for the backers if we got to seven hundred thousand. Um, just put it in perspective, we're at sixteen thousand right now, almost so, seventeen. So almost there. Well, I you know the we... end of campaign push is <laughs> at least six hundred and fifty thousand, give or take. <laughs> if we can just get to fifty before that, then yeah. we should be in range of the alien invasion. <laughs> um, but I, I really wanted to encourage that, even though he's changing my designs after one play I, I still want to encourage that creative spirit and um one of the things that we've been doing um i guess all year for the last year is whenever a designer um posts a print and play that looks interesting for feedback you know we'll download it and cut it out and 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 play it um with my son just so that he'll he can just see like these games that are in fancy boxes on our shelf began just as emails and cardboard and scissors and glue and um so we were doing that. We played a few games that way, and, and Chris posted that he had a game that he was looking for feedback on. It was a two-player dice-rolling game, and we thought, hey, we'll cut out all these dice stickers and stick them on. And So we, we downloaded it. We played it. We loved it. Um, it's a robot combat real-time uh, game, so you're rolling and trying like arcade-style fighting with these robots. And um, I sent Chris some feedback, and you know he asked if it if I would be interested in publishing it. And I said, you know, for, for Foxtrot games, uh, a two-player robot combat game is probably not exactly what we're looking for in our line. Uh, we're looking for something that plays with four players just for the family aspect. Sure. And I sent him some guidelines and stuff that we, we had. These are sort of our, our rough guidelines. And he, he said, well, I have another game that sounds like it fits that. And he sent me uh, the game that is now Lanterns. Um, I read through the rules, and when I read when I read all the way through the rules the first time, I was like, "Whoa, this this is really cool! I want to see how this plays." So we downloaded Print and Play, um, Print and played it, and, and I just loved it. I just thought it was so great. That I mean, as Chris mentioned, that perspective mechanic that you place a tile and everybody gets a card based on the side of the tile that faces them. I just thought that could I just thought that would probably be really fun. So I wanted to play it. Just from that first time reading the rules, I thought, this this is really clever. This is a game I could pitch easily. Someone says, hey, how do you play this? I say, hey, you place a tile. Everybody gets a card. I thought people would love that and sit down and play. We just had to see if it was fun. So I did a lot of evaluation, a lot of playing with a lot of different people. Um, but yeah, I I knew from reading the rules that it, had, that, it, <laughs> that it would be something you could pitch and played it a few times. And I thought, this is just really fun. I played it with... Um, my brother Tyler, he's the creative director of Foxtrot Games officially, and he played it halfway through. He just stopped and said, "This game is awesome. We need to make this." Nice, very cool. Yeah, that's great. Chris, do you have a different story? Or does that sound about right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds about right. I mean, uh, after the wrap up, I'll let you know about phone number contact. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm satisfied that Randy picked up Lanterns. Uh, it fits. Uh, uh, Foxtrot games, uh, line of games, and um, I do, you know, uh, hope somebody takes full meta contact. But again, it's it's the power of social media was just great for us. Um, meeting Randy uh, and you know, on Twitter, and finally at Gen Con uh, this past year, and that was an unbelievable sight to see him, the banner, the game, and it was just 
it, it just made it all real for me. So uh, I'm glad that uh, I'm working with him and to make an awesome game. Yeah, that that banner was definitely eye catching. It was really cool, and having seen and played the the prototype, the the art and just the the design, it's very slick, very compact packaging. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so touching on that, I mean, the game, you know, as you touched on, Randy, is is a as we kind of looked at in our review, it's a, it's a blend of a lot of kind of familiar mechanics. At least for us, it was. Um, I could see a little bit of Ticket to Ride inspiration in there, a little bit of Jaipur with the scoring mechanisms. Um, but like, like you mentioned, again, the, the spatial element of how you place the tiles and the, the kind of the strategy and the tactical placement, um, depending on where everyone's sitting and what they need to collect these things, um, that was really cool. I really did enjoy that. So I can kind of see where the draw was there. But Chris, from, from your standpoint, obviously, as the designer, what what were kind of your inspirations behind the design? Like, like I said, what, did I hit on some of the games that kind of inspired it? Um, what kind of drove you to this kind of design itself? So you actually nailed both games on the head. Um, yeah. Ticket to Ride and Jaipur are two of my favorite games of all time right now. And um, just the simplicity of them. They are easy to pick up, easy to play with uh, friends and family, and just so so deep yet easy enough to pick up and play. Um, I I wanted to make a game that was like those experiences I had with those two games, and so when I was at a game jam in August of 2013, uh, I designed a, just a basic um, tile placement game. But what you see in Lanterns right now. That was pretty much from that same weekend. So from day one or day two, I had the core concept of the lanterns um, right on. Uh, the game was about um, flower collecting for our harvest stand. It's called Blossom. Uh, and people really liked the, um, the communal aspect of the game. Uh, it had some uh, a score track, which was ultimately taken out from the game, which for the better. And um, so there was less of a dominant strategy. But people enjoyed that. It was... Simple enough to teach, simple enough to play. Some people didn't want to play because of the theme, and I can understand that. But I pitched it still as a flower game because I thought the theme would be very approachable. And just talking to some of my friends from the Game Artists of Canada, they suggested, you know, if a publisher does pick this up, they'll probably want to change the theme. And But when Randy suggested the whole lantern uh, theme, I was just, yeah, forget the flowers, we're going with this. So flowers then, aren't a big sell. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I mean, there are flower games like the Hanging Gardens, right? Um, but yeah, you need something <laughs> with a meteor hook. Unless well, and I said Valentine's. the I said, oh, sorry. I said the first time that I read through the manual, the rule book completely, I I knew it would be great. The the part I left out is that the first time I opened the uh, rule book, I only read the first paragraph, and it was about flowers. <laughs> and then I said, well. This was when we were just looking for games to print and play. And I was like, well, I don't think my son will like that game. We'll, we'll play this robot combat one instead. Um, <laughs> and then when Chris came back and said, I think that Blossom would be a good fit uh, for Foxtrot Games. I was like, well, I should at least read the whole manual all the way through. And that was when I saw the mechanics and really just just loved the idea. I thought, if, if this is fun to play, I'm going to make this with a different theme. <laughs> the truth it comes out. Yeah, so yes. Valentine's Day and prom are the only time flowers are acceptable. <laughs> and Mother's Day, it could have been about uh, 
a That's Mother's true. Day or something. Holiday Although the one right. thing I will say about the flowers is that it really did work thematically that I would place a tile down, which would be like planting flowers. Sure. And then we all get cards, which is like harvesting the flowers. Yep. Uh, that did work really well. And, and all the retheme ideas, we never really came up with something that explained exactly what you were placing down and what you were getting. Um, the way it works with the lanterns now is you, you're putting the lanterns in the lake and the card you get represents like almost like a receipt or like credit. So it's like I placed that down and now I have the right to dedicate it. But that card isn't exactly a lantern. It's more like a, a receipt or a, a proof of purchase or something, a, a proof that you've dedicated it. And now you have the right to dedicate it. Um, and that the flowers did that really well. I have to say that you plant them and then harvest them. Uh, that had a nice mix of theme and mechanics there. So that's why don't we aim for the seven hundred fifty thousand dollars stretch goal to be a retheming, or actually a retro theming of the game, and we'll get the flower expansion. <laughs> there you go. We'll put in six new punch boards, all okay. of flowers. Excellent. So only seven hundred fifty. We're good. I mean, I think yeah. that's reasonable. Though that we that. <laughs> In the game, there are platform tiles that have, um, you know, fl floating platforms that give True. you bonuses. The flowers are on there. Those have flowers, and and we, I did want to keep that in there. A little um, homage, I like that. A little, a little homage to, to the original <laughs> theme, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, you guys have been awesome with these segues. It's like you're reading my mind. But Chris, you you touched on the super secret cult, aka the game artisans of Canada. And I was just, I'm curious. I see um, I follow uh, Jay Cormier, uh, not Jay Cormier, is it Jay Cormier? Yeah, Belfort, Jay, Cormier, Jay yeah. and then Senfun Lim, and yeah. a couple of other guys from, from the GAC. And it always looks like you guys are meeting, having a good time, someone's kitchen, everything. So I was curious, could you just give us a little, I don't know if it's super secret, a little bit of detail on the group, its purpose, and maybe some of the requirements you, you had to go through to join. And I guess more importantly, are there human and or board game sacrifices that need to be made? <laughs> well, we won't touch on the uh, multiple prototypes that uh, have been burned in effigy. Um, <laughs> but uh, honestly, the game artisans it has been such a blessing for me. Um, my first exposure to it was um, uh, pretty super early when I was first bringing my prototypes to Snakes and Lattes. Um, I knew that there was a... Um, uh, designers meetup, which actually happened yesterday, um, Monday. But um, super early, I went to go try out my first ever game. It stunk. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the guys that I played with were both part of Game Artisans Canada. And I was like, huh, that might be an option to explore. So as my design career, quote unquote, um, started to, to branch out, I said, hey, uh, guys, how do I get in? And they're like, oh, um, all you have to do is, you know, um, someone has to nominate you from your chapter. So we have multiple chapters um, in various provinces. Uh, so Toronto's one of the big ones. So it's Calgary. Um, and uh, all you do is be nominated. And if they like you and if they think you have a future in board game industry, then they'll let you in. Um, your commitments are what you can put in. They want to see that you are putting out games and you are trying to to pitch to publishers but even if you're working on a prototype i'd say if you're canadian you have a prototype going please do join us we were always opening our arms to um uh, new designers but uh the whole organization kind of fosters the relationship between designers we kind of keep our feedback 
within this nice social group because all of us are determined to get published. And so we can, first of all, give each other great feedback, then give each other kind of like a, a, a wing. So if someone uh, knows a publisher that may be interested in a game, they can open up the network to say, hey, you might want to take a look at uh, so-and-so's game because it kind of fits what you're looking for. And since we're all so connected, we can do that for each other. And the track record for the Game Artisans has been stellar. Um, a couple of shout-outs to, like you mentioned, Jay Cormier and Sam Lim. They are the machines of the uh, the Game Artisans. So they have Belfort, Train of Thoughts. They're coming out with super new ones. Uh, Josh Capel, artist extraordinaire and designer extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's got seven games signed within this year. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, Daryl Andrews and... Um, Steven Sayer are two of my inspirations, and they came out with The Walled City that just released at Essen this year. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just, we're, we have avenues everywhere, and it's nice that the Game Artisans is our little um, group that we can bring it all back and help each other really find the right fit for our games. Excellent. No, that's really cool. I'm I'm jealous. It's like the Boy Scouts of Canada, <laughs> but with board games and probably beer. <laughs> which yeah. <way> better. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I'm secretly jealous and kind of want to be Canadian at times. It, it, you guys seem to do so many cool things, especially in the board game hobby. I mean, you have Rodney as well, which is a, oh yeah. You know, he should be on your flag probably. But <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's cool. I mean, I mean. And you touched on kind of like how you guys give yourselves, you know, feedback and things like that. And I'm curious, and I guess Randy, you can chime in on this as well. I'm curious from a from a development standpoint. Once this once Lantern signed, um, it, I'm I'm curious how different publishers do it. I know some allow you to kind of go out and kind of keep the development going on your end, but others want to take full control of it. Was there any kind of um, balance between, you know? what Chris could work on with the, the artisans and his himself, as well as what Randy you were doing and with your groups and, and social networks. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk about that. When I signed Chris's game, one of the things that was really important to me was for him to be able to um, just let it go if he wanted and go work on other games. Um, I mean, designing board games is just so much about just repetition about doing as many games as you can. And, I know when you get to a point where a game is done and you're ready to either pitch it or self-publish it, that you switch into a different mode and you're not really doing that creation part. Um, And so, I mean, I talked to Chris and said, you know, I have some ideas for what I'd like to do with development. I'd love to, you know, work with you. I'd love to to take it over and have you test things, kind of whatever it is that, you know, whatever you're comfortable doing. And he had some other ideas that he wanted to work on. And so um, I wanted to just take... I basically led the development on that, and um, I would run ideas past Chris. We would talk. I mean, it was really important to me also that that he was proud of the finished game, so I didn't want to change it to where he didn't like it anymore. Um, and it hasn't changed all that much. I mean, Chris mentioned the main thing is the scoring mechanic, the way the scores uh, decrease, um, like in Jaipur. That's, that was new. Um, they were static scoring uh, when it was pitched. And, then that, I mean, that added a nice... Um, tension, motivation to, to try to score as quickly as you could and, and to be able to deny your opponent that one card they needed that would make them have to wait one extra turn, which could, in fact, cost them two extra points. It was just, it added a, a bit of excitement to the game. 
Um, and we, we, I would send him PDFs. He would print and play. You know, I print and played what he sent me, and then I would develop on it and send it to him. He print and played the, the PDF a few times. Uh, we played online. So when I first, uh, he and I first played it online, I used a site called Roll20. Uh, Roll20.net it was set up for RPGs, um, but it's got enough features that you can play a lot of board games on there. So Chris and I would play, try different things. We had a couple of kind of design jammy sessions where, We'd play once, talk about ideas. He'd suggest something. I'd upload a little Meeple character. We'd try this. We'd, we'd take that out. We'd add back this card thing. We'd change the values. I'd just like edit the text in the thing. And uh, we tried a few different... We did that a couple of times. Um, and that was really good. And I mean, Chris was great um, testing the changes. But uh, like I said, it was really important to me that he be able to just say, you know, I've done the design. I'm going to go design other games. Um, and you as the publisher, go do your thing. Um Mostly it was just testing and getting feedback and balancing more than any kind of major design thing um, or development. It was the scoring mechanic was the one thing that I think changed significantly uh, from the pitch, but everything else, just balancing the the numbers, you know how many how many platform tiles do we have? How do we how many of each color do we have? How many tiles are we gonna have? When is the game end gonna trigger? And just kind of getting all that the ins and outs. I mean, when it was pitched to me, it was just so smooth in that the, the middle part of the game was just so enjoyable. Placing a tile, getting cards, waiting till it's your turn, dedicating, like that all just worked really well. And really the, the tricky part was just getting, when, when does it end and how do we end so that everyone gets the same number of turns or is that important or can someone trigger? We tried it. We tried a bunch of different things, um, but it's, I think it's pretty close to, besides the scoring, to, to the way it was pitched. Yeah, definitely. And all those things you said, you can definitely see, you know, having seen the end product, it's it's great to see that. I, I couldn't picture the game without that Jaipur type scoring. I think that was really, it was really neat how that was incorporated. And it, and almost depending on the, the player count, it, it became a race for those. And it was, it was really cool. I think the two player was more of the race in my opinion, uh, four player was kind of about, you know, blocking and things like that. So yeah. it's really cool. The tension you created just from changing that, that scoring mechanism. That's really cool. Um, so uh, I guess we'll, we'll stick with Randy for this one. And Chris, you can chime in as you feel, um, necessary on this, but Kickstarter. So we just had an episode where we kind of talked about what we expect to see from a Kickstarter or what we like to see, you know, what, should go into a project or a campaign. And I was curious, you know, Randy, you being the publisher, um, obviously a smaller publisher, it's you know, Kickstarter is, you know, a means that you can put your game out to the world and get the funding that you need that you may not necessarily have upfront capital for, for instance. Do you feel, um, do you feel like Kickstarter is still a viable avenue for young publishers like yourself? Or do you think it's kind of been tainted and or saturated by some of these larger publishers that continue to crank out game after game or use it as almost like a pre-order system now? That's a great question. And it's really tough as a very tiny publisher. Um, I mean, I, I'm not even a small publisher or a tiny publisher. I'm a micro publisher, I suppose, is the, is the best way to say it. Um, we've got one game working on the second. And it's hard. The, the tabletop space on Kickstarter has evolved in, in, a, in a way different than most of the other spaces on Kickstarter. Um, there aren't a lot of, like, the big studios aren't raising money for all of their movies through Kickstarter. Um, you, you just don't see, the, I don't know if it's sophistication or maturity, or it, the, the space has definitely developed and grown a culture of its own. And people have expectations uh, when they back a project. They want a low goal, a low pledge level. They want 
some kind of exclusive or extras um and they they want a lot of finished art it's not about like if you if you kickstart a movie you don't have the script written and the cast done and all of it sort of shot already you don't have that you you have an idea maybe a a couple of clips Um, but with the board game space people want to see the game mostly done all the creative work a lot of the production work and just ready to go to manufacturing sure and that's really hard for a tiny publisher um you do it's like i've heard people talk about they need a kickstarter campaign for their kickstarter campaign because you do need to raise money somehow to be able to do what needs to be done to make the game appealing i mean for us we spent i don't know three or four thousand dollars getting ready for the campaign that's video that's artwork i mean most only the video really is the only thing that's sort of marketing that we don't really that won't be used i mean we have almost all the artwork done when we started um, you know, we had to pay for ads and video and, and all of that. Like it's, it's, it's a big investment if you're a really tiny publisher, um, mm-hmm. trying to get going. Um, and if you're going to print in a really small run, um, you know, if you're going to do a thousand copies or 1500 copies, you're paying a, I mean, you're paying a lot of money per copy to do that small of a run. And so you see a lot of the games, I mean, our first game, our goal is 24,000. And that was a year and a half ago. I think we may be getting to the point where a first-time creator just cannot ask that much um, and expect to get funding. You know, I mean, you see a lot of the campaigns around like 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're, if you're a first-time publisher or you want to start a Kickstarter campaign, you really need to keep it where it's like no more than 15,000. You need 400 backers to meet your goal, whatever, you know, whatever that math adds up to be. Um, and it's just really, really tough to ask for more, to uh, ask for a lot of money up front, um, to not have artwork done. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it today. People just have a lot of expectations. And people who back uh, Kickstarter campaigns, board games, I mean, they, they, a lot of them have backed, you know, 100 games or more. And so uh, the, the, the marketplace is very sophisticated and mature on the buying side. And you've really got to come with a product that, that's going to meet the demands that that the, that marketplace is asking for. Um, we may reach a point where just first time board game publishers can't, can't raise money on Kickstarter. I don't know. I would hate to see that uh, happen um, because it is a great space. Um, one of the things that's really tricky is that a lot of people who kickstart board games don't really know the industry very well. And I mean, you know, people like they, they play Monopoly and then they're like, Oh, I can make a game just like that. And they put it up on Kickstarter and, um, a lot of them aren't very good games or they haven't been developed a lot. Um, and you know, there's all kinds of horror stories of people, they, a game looks good and isn't good. And because of that, the, the market is getting very discerning, I think. And they're, they really want to see the rule book. They really want to know how, um, how the game will play. So you've got to have rule book, you got to have a gameplay video, you got to have all that stuff just to make kind of the people who back Kickstarter campaigns regularly, um, interested and compelled to back it. And then a lot of people want to just wait for retail because they've been burned before. They want to wait for retail um, for the game. And it just it just makes it really tough. But, I mean, I, I still think it is viable way to, to raise money for your projects. I'm really grateful for uh, the backers on Relic Expedition who, you know, had no idea who we were, if we could pull it off and trusted us to, to pull that off. And we've got a lot of those backers back, um, some very enthusiastic backers, um, 
who just said they'd back just about anything we did because the experience with Relic Expedition was so good, and it's just great to have them back and have Lanterns fund so quickly. It's just been a really, really great uh, campaign so far. Excellent. Very cool. Yeah, I always love hearing from you know publishers, you know, especially the smaller ones, just kind of how they view Kickstarter because it's such an animal. I can only imagine just trying to tackle it. And all the different aspects, and you know, there is a business side to it. I, like you said, I don't think a lot of people realize the effort and the time, and even the you know the capital investment, like you said up front, that's required just to to ask for money, let alone make the game. So it's 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 always interesting to me. Um, well, that's great, cool. So what I'm hoping we can do before we can let we let you guys go, um, I know you guys are busy and you've got games to kickstart and stuff. So um, I was hoping we could do a quick. Uh, what we like to call like a lightning round. So I'm just going to shoot off some questions, quick, you know, either ors, things like that. And just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. Remember, we can edit this, but if it's funny, we're not going to. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to, I'll give it to both of you guys. And just, you know, to let you know, you cannot use yourself for any of the answers. So when I say favorite designer, Chris, you can't say me. All right. All right. So I wouldn't pick me anyways. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Let's let's start off with that one. So, favorite designer, guys. Matt Leacock and Pandemic. Um, I'm going to go with Ryan Kanitsia and uh, because of Lost Cities. Because you love theme, right? Oh, man. It's just <laughs> that game aside from theme, it just works. So. Yeah, that is a really great game. I know Matt picked that up recently and we've we've played that. I play it on my phone all the time at work when I'm bored. It's just one of those great nonstop. It's so great. It's so simple and it's just so accessible on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So favorite publisher. Randy, you want to start? (laughs) You can start this one. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with, um, I'll go with days of wonder. I love their production value and just the games that they push out. Just five tribes was amazing. So kudos to them for taking the next step. That, it didn't sound like you said Foxtrot Games, Chris. Uh, did, I, did I hear you wrong? Did I, did I hear something wrong there? Days you know of, what? Days of Foxtrot. I would, <laughs> I would love the day when Foxtrot makes it all the way to Days of Wonder. And then they can be uh, bought out. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> that is another story. Yeah. Oh, man. Who's my favorite publisher? Um I'm gonna I'm gonna say Stronghold Games. Um, I mean, I, I really don't look at the publisher first. I look at the designer and the game. But just looking at my collection, I do have quite a few Stronghold games that are uh, really that are really well received in the house. We've got uh, Core Worlds. We've got Survive. Even the the crazy creatures. I guess they uh, they brought that to the U.S. But I mean, they they do some really good stuff. Um, I'm a big fan of Stronghold Games. Yeah. They they I do just do some picked up diamonds stuff. yesterday. Have you played it yet? I haven't played it yet, but Dan and Tiffany both got to play it. I didn't yeah. get okay. to play it. You didn't get to play it? It's a trick taking uh, game, not my so. cup. I got to Dan play it with Mike Fitzgerald at Gen Con, which was awesome. It was nice. really cool. It's it's a it's a nice twist on trick taking. Nothing too nothing too in depth or he didn't change the whole, you know, dynamic of it, but just a couple twists here and there that make it pretty intriguing. You know what it needs is alien invasion miniatures. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it needs. I think that's the rumored expansion. All right, so here, this one might be tough. Favorite game? Seven Wonders. I'm going to go with Pandemic. 
All right. So how about favorite genre of games? So, you know, party versus Euro versus Ameritrash, whatever. Sure. Um, I like auction games. So uh, I love uh, High Society by Rainer Canisio. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just it. It's a cruel auction game because you don't want to take those negatives, but somebody's got to take them. And um, one of my other favorites is uh, Felix the Cat in the Sack by Freedom Run Feast. And it's a cat game, but it works. You're presented with information that you know, and maybe your opponents don't know, but you have limited mice to work with. Where do you put them, and what cats do you take? So I, I love both games. And auction games, I'd love to work on one. They're just super simple, super awesome, and really crazy when someone just blows everyone out of the water with a high bid. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like 700000 for a Kickstarter? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like everything but auction games, actually. <laughs> Now, auctions are hard because when you start a game with people who haven't played before, you don't know what to bid. And yeah. so I find auction games are hard to get people into. Once you're into it, then it's then it's great and it's a fun mechanic. But yeah, I usually play a lot of games with people who haven't played the game before. So um, auction games are really tricky. Um, what do I like? I do like um, I like worker placement games uh, when they're when they're lighter. I don't. I don't need to do math homework all for two hours. That's not my kind of game. I play games for fun. Um, so usually lighter games um, work well. I really do like tile placement games. I suppose that's probably my favorite uh, mechanic if I had to pick one. Um, maybe I just had it on my mind a lot. I've been playing a lot of Carcassonne and, and Lanterns, of course, lately. Um, there's just something neat about the, the board growing as you play, like that you're building something together. Okay, so let's go... How about favorite component in any game? So, you know, the little gemstones in something like, I don't know, Compounded or, you know, a little meeple in like a Fragor games or what's your favorite component? Um, I will say my favorite component is the uh, animal meeples in Relic Expedition. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I'm so pleased with how those turned out. Um, but yeah, meeples are meeples are really cool. I'm not super into meeples like a lot of people are um but i would say that's my favorite component either the carcassonne meeple or just just a wood uh, even like even in settlers the the little houses and hotels or they're not hotels what are they <laughs> the the settlements in the cities um you're a refined gentleman in the board gaming industry exactly <laughs> my, my son loves the compounded gems a lot in fact he he wanted lanterns to be about gems somehow so that we could use those. Um, and so when, when we were evaluating the game, we did play with gems instead of cards a little bit just for him so that he could see. He still he wants it to be like mining or something, probably on an alien planet where the aliens are invading. <laughs> I'm seeing a common... So when I see your son's game design in like, you know, five, six years, and it's, it's alien-themed, I'm not going to be shocked, am I? <laughs> All right, Chris, what about you? Um, I'm going to go with another Josh Capel suggestion, and that is the, um, the pop-up menus in sushi, or wasabi as it uh, were in the States. But even though that's just a player board, quote-unquote, and it's a, it acts as a shield as well, it thematically works in placing sushi together and hiding your recipes from your opponents in these menus. And I was like, whoa, 
that's a cool player board. It just fits so well. You, you Canadians stick together. I'll give you that. No, I'm yeah. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. So how about this? How, what's your, uh, who's your favorite board game reviewer, media site, or channel? I'm always interested in this because you know, everyone loves carefully. it. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, why don't you take this one first? Sure. So I'll go with uh, Tiffany Ralph, the one tar. Um, she just does crazy cute little videos. It just it's five minutes of your time, but she I don't know. She's in one place, one is this the next place? She's in another place, and she's just talking about the game and how how much she likes it. It's just it. Her reviews really draw me to some titles that I'd not normally look at. So um, yeah, kudos to her for for really bringing board gaming's a, a fresh new taste. Yeah, I can only imagine some of the looks she gets with some of the locales that she records a video. It's like, what is this girl doing on the um, the luggage return right. at the airport kind of thing? Yep. And uh, I also love her corgi. When she pushed, uh, puts pictures on a corgi on Twitter, I go, yeah, that's cute, dog. Yeah. <laughs> she, she did a preview for Lanterns, and I was hoping she would be in, in a boat or something rowing down or placing lanterns. But in China or something. Yeah. No such luck, but still still a great review. I, I agree. I, I like her reviews a lot. I would have to say, for me, I really like Watch It Played. Um, yep. uh, Rodney, you mentioned Rodney earlier. I think he's on the Game Artisans of Canada flag. Is that what I heard? Did I, did I hear that rumor? You should just be on Canada's flag. Like... On the Canada flag? Yeah. 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 That's um, true. Change it to O Rodney. learning games is really tricky and it rule books are just no matter how well written they are and you know i've written one published rule book for relic expedition and working on the the lanterns one right now and it's just so hard and you you want people to not spend time studying before they play your game you want them just to like sit down and start playing and um his his channel um I mean, his how to play videos are great. If you're a, if you're a publisher um, and you want to get your uh, yeah, ga- uh, how to play video once your game is published, definitely get in touch with Rodney. Um, I think you can hire him to make the the tutorials, the how to play videos. Um, and it's for me, it was just totally worth it to be able to have my backers go to a web address and watch a video how to how to play when they got their games. Um, and then he does some games. Um, the, the, the full playthroughs um, and those are just great to, to see how the game plays because you can read the rule book even watch the video and have a sense of oh how fast paced is this going to be or how long is it going to take but if you just watch someone play through it and you can see the decisions that they're making you can get a really really good sense of whether or not that's a game that your family or your gaming group will, will enjoy and it's just so important. I mean, a reviewer can say they like it. That doesn't mean you'll like it. And, and Rodney, I really respect that he doesn't review the games. He just says, this is how it plays. Mm. And you can make a decision for yourself. Yeah. I think I think we all love Rodney. He's he's amazing. So <laughs> we always joke. He's like the one guy on Twitter we wish followed us. Like of all the people <laughs> in Twitter, we're like, God, how do we get Rodney to follow us? <laughs> nice. Someday. Someday we will win someday. him over. Someday. And Chris and I both love the League of Nonsensical Gamers. I have to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good We're, save. Good save. Excellent. Check, <laughs> checks in the mail, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, don't edit that. Uh, cool. All right. So I'm going to jump into some some general kind of nerd questions here. So um, this one, I don't know. This one would be interesting. But I you know some people have you know different 
uh, backgrounds. So I'm going to say, what do you, what do you guys prefer, video game or board game? I'll start with you, Chris. I'm going to have to go with video games. Um, I'm not uh, a fan of console games whatsoever. I never had a true console that actually worked well. Um, but I love the fact that they got me into gaming in general. Um, I was a huge fan of Pokemon on Game Boy uh, back when it was still popular and it's still popular now. But I loved playing Pokemon Yellow and that really sparked my fuel to, to learn more about games. Um, cool. How about you, Randy? Well, I'm a board game publisher, after all. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say board games. Um, I, I do like video games. I have a very addictive personality, and I was not allowed to have a console growing up because that was probably all I would ever do uh, was play video games. I mean, I played a lot of Tetris at friends' houses. Um, but yeah, I mean, board games were always allowed. Always played lots of board games. Um, I, the, a video game that I do love is Portal. Um, my son and I play Portal 2 when we go to, to my parents' house. They, they have it now. They wouldn't let me have a video game console growing up, but they get to have one now that I'm gone. So we go and we play Portal <laughs> when we go visit them. Um, and we play Portal 2. It's like a cooperative version where you're, you're both working together to solve the puzzles. Um, and we love that. But other than that, it's, it's just board games at our house. Cool. Yeah, Portal's one of Matt's favorites. Oh, yeah. I... I'm a big fan of Portal. <laughs> Don't get me started. All right. So if you guys had a chance to go to one convention, would it be Gen Con or Essen? If all expenses were taken care of, which one would you choose? I'd pick Gen Con. I mean, that's the one I know, I guess. Um, I, I do hope to make it to Essen someday, but from the people that go to Essen... I hear they don't see Germany. They just go to the convention center. So yep. um, for me, Essen or Gen Con would probably be a very similar experience. I know Gen- Essen's bigger. Hopefully I'll make it someday. But I mean, Gen Con, I just know so many people there. And for me, the convention is a lot about meeting people, new people that you know I can interact with for the next year, uh, new gamers, play my games, play games with them, um, and then old friends now that I've known from past Gen Cons. Um, at Essen, I don't know very many people that would be there, and most of them that I do would probably also be at Gen Con. So I'm going to just pick Gen Con. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. How about you, Chris? Um, I'm going to also echo what Randy said and pick Gen Con as well. Um, I know so many people from Twitter and meeting them in person, like uh, Chevy Dodd and um, Ken Grazier and all these folks who I couldn't put a face to a name and now I could put their face to a name and they're cool people in real life too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the experience of uh, working uh, in a booth and pitching my game in a speed dating uh, publisher meetup, uh, just the experiences I had at this past Con makes me want to go again. Excellent. All right. Now the big nerd question, Star Wars or Star Trek? <laughs> Chris, you can go I, first on this one. You know what? When when the opening for the nerd questions actually sprung up, I, th- that was the first question that I was like, "Oh, this is coming for sure." Um, <laughs> and to be fair, um, I'm going to take Star Trek because I yeah, I'm not involved in both of those, but Star Trek because um, it has a little bit more familiarity with me, I think. Okay. Randy? I will, for me, 
for me, it's Star Wars all the way. Um, Good man. <laughs> it's funny because people who aren't inside nerd culture get them confused or can't tell the difference. And to me, they're just two totally different approaches to kind of the space way. One is a very high adventure fantasy, not very realistic type of setting and Star Wars, just fun. Um, and Star Trek is a bit more science fiction. I mean, Star Wars, I think, is almost more fantasy than science fiction, where Star Trek is very, you know, exploring and and it's like based on Earth. And it's even though it's still out there, it's much more realistic, I guess. <laughs> uh, you could imagine that that's where things are headed. And whereas Star Wars is, I mean, they just don't take as much concern about scientific accuracy. And it's just a lot more about fun. I'm going to jump right ahead to what all of our listeners are dying to know. Mary-Kate or Ashley? <laughs> I do remember watching Full House when it was on. <laughs> I'm just going to say, like, we did Friday night, what was it, TGIF? TGIF. Uh, yep. we, we did that. We watched uh, Perfect Strangers. Family Matters. Um, fam- oh, yeah, Family Matters, Full Boy House. World. Um, step by Step. St- oh, yeah, all those, man. Taking me back here. Um, and in Full House, you cannot tell. I mean, they, they play one character because the age, you know, they you can only have so much screen time when you're under a certain age. And so they had to have twins to play the, the youngest daughter so that they didn't get too much whatever violation of whatever TV rules. You can't tell the difference there. So for me, they will always just be one person. You're going to say both. Both, neither. I don't know the right answer. <laughs> All right, Chris, give it to us. Um, I'm also going to say neither. I, I can't <laughs> tell them apart except what they do in the media nowadays. Uh, but I, I think one uh, does drugs and the other one yeah. does more drugs now. And I don't know which. which, which. <laughs> um, but the, touching on that Full House comment, like I was just getting into TV when Full House was still on the air. Um, I grew up with more cartoons rather than uh, actual live action shows. So, yeah, I'm not going to pick a side. Funny story about Chris and TV. So, Lanterns, <laughs> before it was Lanterns, was known as Blossom. And I he posted the uh, print and play up on uh, Board Game Geek for his new game, Blossom. And a whole lot of people made comments about the TV show, Blossom. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> comments like that. And, and Chris had never seen Blossom. He, he really didn't know what they were even oh, talking about. Oh, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't Which, think I was five when that came out, was it? So, yeah. It's, it's newer I than Full House, excuse. I think. I think it's oh. newer than Full House. Yeah. I don't, okay. I don't remember. I, I do it was remember, early 90s. I do remember watching at least one episode of Blossom. Wasn't her friend named uh, Number? Was it Six? Is that her name? Six, seven, double seven. I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> I, I just remember wishing that I had a cool nickname that was a number. <laughs> That's all I remember. So I must have seen at least one episode. Well, go ahead. Pick a number and we'll start calling you by it. <laughs> you can't pick your own nickname. That that That's cheating. Well, fair enough. We'll work on it. <laughs> okay. Randy, we're going to call you 700,000. Okay. 700,000. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You get a really big number. All right, guys. So um, just before we wrap it up here, uh, I was going to give you guys a chance. Uh to kind of plug anything you wanted to. Chris, do you have anything currently in your pipeline as far as designs are going? Sure. So um, 
the game that Randy touched on before when you were validating Lanterns, uh, Full Metal Contact. Uh, that one is under review from a publisher, so awesome. hopefully I get some good news about that. Um, I'm working on a new game called Catastrophe, with an emphasis on cats, and you're basically cats trying to make the most chaos in your house by wrecking valuable for your owners. So um, that one is a very light take on cash and guns and hopefully I can work on it to find a publisher in the near future. Nice. Very cool. How about you, Randy? Does uh, Foxtrot have anything in the works? We do. We don't. Well, we, we have, we have games we're evaluating and we do have one that we're developing. Uh, it's a bit too early to say for sure um, what we're going to do with it. So, oh. I'll keep that one under wraps. I do have a game I'm designing that is surprisingly fun for the few amount of times I've played it. It's a it's it's a voting game. You're you're all um, members of like this robot making consortium or something, and you're voting on which robots you're going to make at your like your annual convention. And you make three robots, and you all have in your hand of cards like kind of the ideal robots you want to make. So you all have votes. You cast your votes, and you see which monster or which uh, robot you make, and whoever kind of gets the closest to what they one of the ones they wanted scores the points. I don't know if anything will come of it. It's fifty four cards, and then a bunch of some kind of voting token. Um, it, it's kind of fun, so we'll see. <laughs> It's always hard. You, you get an idea, you prototype it, and then it's like trying to find the fun in it is the is the real challenge. So yep. we've got that we're working on. Um, mostly lanterns right now is the big the big emphasis. So getting that um, funded and just finishing up the artwork and the rule book and and all that kind of stuff. Um, lots of productiony tasks um, even after the Kickstarter campaign to go um, get that off to the manufacturer. It's great to know that we're funded already. Um, with Relic Expedition, we didn't fund till day 30 of 35. That was agonizingly stressful. <laughs> um, with with Lanterns, we funded in six days, so you know we know that we're going to be making it. So we're st- we're starting to move with the manufacturer um, and starting to get the, like I said, the art's done. Although we do have some uh, stretch goal art that we've unlocked. Um, so we've got the artist getting ready to start. We're vote right now. The backers are voting on uh, what the new art pieces will be. And then we'll get those rolling and just getting the, starting to get the graphic design stuff like the punch boards laid out and all that kind of stuff. So lanterns and then uh, looking at a couple of other games um, for that we're evaluating. So. Well, excellent. So, um, well, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Um, I know we took a nice chunk of your time, but we really appreciate you guys joining us and, uh, as Randy and Chris both mentioned, if you haven't, check out Lanterns the Harvest Festival. It's on Kickstarter right now, and it runs to what day does it run till, Randy? November fifth uh, in the afternoon in the United States. Yeah, and you can just go to lanternsgame.com. We'll redirect you to the page, or you can search for Lanterns on Kickstarter and check it out there. Excellent. Uh, I know we recommended it, and if you want to see our review, go to the site and you can take a look. So uh, again, thanks a lot, guys. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. It's great to be your first uh, interview. Uh, quite an honor. So keep Excellent. doing what you're doing with the podcast. It's a lot of fun listening to you guys. So keep that up. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yep. It's been a great experience. Thank you. Excellent. All right, guys. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Cool. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. You can support the show with reviews on iTunes or hearts on board game links. 
Also, we'd love to hear from you, so feel free to reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter, or shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Until next time.